Hey, I want to welcome you to Mount Olive. So glad you joined us today. Um, I know some of you may be online or in the chapel or here in the building. Um, it's uh, your first time with us, and I want to give a special welcome to those of you that are first-timers, or maybe if it's been a while uh, and you haven't been following uh, a church online or uh, coming over the last few months. We've been in a series this August going through a, a book of the Bible called Malachi, or as some of you like to call it, Malachi, right? So Malachi uh, was a prophet of God, and uh, he, he, uh, so the book's uh, titled after him. And you know prophets, maybe you don't know, but prophets are people who hear from God, and then they speak to the people for God. That's what prophets do. So Malachi was speaking to the people for God, and he's speaking to these Jewish people that are post-exile. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, uh, these post-exile Jewish people uh, and giving them the message of God. Now, Malachi is the very last book in our Old Testament. So the Bible's broken into two main sections, the Old Testament, which is all the stuff leading up to Jesus, and then the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus and the building of his church, his movement called the church. And so Malachi is the last book in the uh, Old, Old Testament, in our Christian Bibles. Now, uh, one of the challenges of faith that, we, uh, faith that we all face, and the post-exile Jewish people face this same faith challenge, uh, and even if you're not a person of faith, even if you're thinking about faith and you have never even taken steps towards faith, or whether you've been in the faith and you're like, I'm a person of faith, I'm like all in, and it's been like that for 85 years, we all have this tension and this struggle. And the tension that we all kind of bump up against in our faith, or as we think about faith, is the tension we come across when it comes to unmet expectations or unfulfilled expectations. And whether our expectations are good and godly or not, the sense, the struggle of faith is the same. Whether we had expectations that are godly or they're just expectations we placed on God that we shouldn't have placed on God. But regardless, when we bump up against this tension of God, you were supposed to do something and you didn't come through, uh, it's a challenge for our faith. And it's interesting as we uh, look at the end of Malachi, the people of uh, the Jewish people 2,400 years ago struggled with this same, same thing. And God kind of comes along and says, anticipation. I know you're struggling with unmet expectation, but here's what I want to talk about is anticipation, okay? So what's interesting as well, and we'll just, before we get to Malachi, I want to talk about one thing, is the book of Malachi is the last book in our Christian Bibles, but in the Jewish Hebrew scriptures called the Tanakh, it's not the last book. Interestingly enough, although many of the books are all the same, the, the content's the same, the Jewish people arrange their uh, scriptures differently. And they end with the uh, book of Chronicles. Now we have First and Second Chronicles in Jewish scriptures. It's just all one, Chronicles. And uh, the book of Chronicles uh, journeys the historical pathway from the kings to the fall of Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar came and he destroyed the city of Jerusalem and then sent a bunch of the Jewish people into exile. So Chronicles kind of follows this trail. And what's interesting, both Chronicles, which is the, the Jewish Hebrew Bible uh, scriptures, and our Christian Bibles, although they end with different books, Malachi and Chronicles kind of end the same. They both kind of just end abruptly and it leaves us kind of like, what else? There's, there's, there's this sense of anticipation. There's got to be something more. 
And it has to do with this expectation, these unfulfilled expectations. So let's go through for fun, just for fun, because we're going to have some fun today. Let's go through Chronicles, just the end of it, and then we'll dive into Malachi and see uh, how, this, how we journey through these un, uh, unfulfilled expectations in our faith and also this anticipation that God points us to. So 2 Chronicles, after journeying through all of you know, these kings, and you can read it, it's like the king of Judah and then the king of Israel, the king of Judah, just kind of year by year by year, it ends this way, which is kind of abrupt and startling. It says he, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, that's the Jews who were still living in Jerusalem, who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Now this is crazy. So, Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys the, the, nation, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, and the writer who's been chronologically going kind of year by year, here's what's been happening with the nation of Israel, suddenly he jumps 70 years. He talks about, here's the fall of Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar came, exiled these people. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem at least three times over a span of 20 years. In 605 or 607 was the first time he came against Israel. He exiled a bunch of people. You might have heard of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, that Daniel. He was exiled the very first time Nebuchadnezzar came. And then some 20 years later, he came again in 587 BC. And that's what the writer is writing about now. And this time, he completely destroys the city because here's what's been happening. He came, he overthrew the city. He's like, come on, you guys got to obey me. And then some years later, he'd put a king in place. They would revolt against the kingdom. He'd come back, destroy them again. They'd revolt. He'd destroy them again. This third time, he's like, I'm not coming back. I'm just going to destroy it all, and I'm taking the rest of the people with me. Whoever doesn't die comes with me kind of thing. And he left a few people, but very, very few. But then the author jumps 70 years, and he says, until the kingdom of Persia came. And he goes on and says, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rests, all the time of the desolation it rested. So this is the time, the 70 years. Until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was another prophet who lived before and during this time when King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the nation uh, and the city of Jerusalem. And he had prophesied and said before it ever happened, he said, hey guys, because of your disobedience, we're going to be exiled and it's going to last for 70 years. So the writer of Chronicles kind of ends his entire book simply saying, okay, finally, the 70 years started and the land was going to enjoy its Sabbath rest. Which is like, what's that about? And why is he concluding with this kind of like Sabbath resting? Well, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, God had told uh, the nation of Israel in uh, Leviticus chapter 26, and I think it's verse 34, he told them, hey, you need to, every seventh day, you know this probably, if you know anything about Jewish people, uh, every seventh day is a day of rest. You don't work for them. It's a Sabbath, which is Saturday. And get this, every seventh year, the land gets a year of rest. So if you're a vineyard owner or a farmer, you don't get to uh, farm that year. The land gets a rest every seventh year. And then in Leviticus 26, verse 34, God says, oh, and by the way, if you don't follow my laws and don't give the land its Sabbath rest, I'm going to send a foreign nation to destroy you, and then the land's going to get its rest all the years that the nation's destroyed. And now, over a thousand years later, it happens just as God said it would happen. But here's the interesting thing. If every seventh year the land was supposed to get a rest, how many seven-year cycles would it take to make up for 70 years where the land didn't get its rest? 
Well, 70 times 7, or 7 times 70, equals 490 years. And remember, the writer of Chronicles has been chronologically going through the kings of Israel, and some people have done the math, and when you calculate the number of years from the time of Solomon till till the destruction of Jerusalem, guess how many years it was? 490 years which means all this time they'd been living in disobedience and God says, for your years of disobedience, all those years the land didn't get its rest, it's gonna get its rest. That's why the exile lasted 70 years. Well, he goes on, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so now you know we just jumped over 70 years, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah, which he told about, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms of the earth. I'm super powerful. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him uh, at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. The end. What? So you just have these like, this chronological 490 years, all these kings and their disobedience. And then it's like, you talk about this, this exile But now God's going to do what God's going to do and bring the nation back and we're going to be this amazing, awesome uh, 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 kingdom again. God's going to make us powerful. He's going to give us sovereignty. All these things that they've been looking forward to. All these expectations God had. But the writer doesn't go into any of all that. Malachi does. Uh, Nehemiah does. Ezra, other prophets talk about the, 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 the return of the people in the building. So why do the Hebrew scriptures end with this without talking about what happened? It's like the Hebrews, the, 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 the Hebrews realized maybe the coming back and becoming a nation again isn't what we thought it was going to be. That there's actually something more, something bigger, something beyond what God was going to accomplish. It's like they're pointing to another prophet. I mentioned him earlier, Daniel. And Daniel had been exiled the first time Nebuchadnezzar came. And his entire life, as a teenager to an old man, he lived in Babylon, now with the king of Persia. And and as Daniel, uh, he knew about Jeremiah. You can read about this in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel sees, hey, 70 years has passed, and there's a new king, and suddenly he starts getting excited, like, the return, we're going to return to our nation. We've, we've endured the exile. This is the time when God's going to fulfill his promise. And he had all these expectations about what God was going to do. And he's getting all excited. And he has this big prayer and he says, God, forgive us and, and you're going to do something. And then God comes to him and says, ah, 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 ah. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. In essence, the angel of God comes to, uh, to Daniel, who's anticipating, hey, this is going to be the fulfillment of all we've been waiting for. And the angel of God says, uh-uh-uh, your waiting's not done. Seventy more sevens, I don't know. Some people disagree. Is that like an actual number? Is it just a time frame? But in essence, the angel says 70 more sevens, there's going to be a time period for your people to continue to struggle and suffer, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, 
to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting 70 more sevens until sin is removed, 70 more sevens until righteousness and everlasting righteousness come. Who is he talking about? Who is gonna remove sin? Who is gonna bring righteousness? Jesus. So Daniel's looking forward like this is the moment and, and God comes in and says, no, that's not the moment. You gotta keep waiting. Now, interestingly, 77s, if you times seven by 70, it equals how many years? And some people have done the math from when the temple was rebuilt to when Jesus came. And guess what? It equals about 490 years. 490 years. Unbelievable, hey? So it's pretty cool that God does this. But in essence, he says, you got to keep waiting. But this brings up the tension that we face as well. When we have expectations, even godly expectations of God. What do we do in the land between when we had these expectations and when they're fulfilled, when we're in the land between, when we're in the moments when we're saying, God, life isn't making sense. God, you said, and it hasn't happened. God, what do we do? See, here's the question we all kind of, we, we think about, why do we follow? And the answer is the same for all of us. Here's why you follow Jesus. Here's why we follow God. It's simply to get something, right? I mean, if there was nothing that God would do or nothing that God would give you, would any of us follow God? No, it's because we want to get something from God. In the old covenant, the way it worked, it was a blessing and curse kind of you know, give and take. And God said, if you follow me, I'll bless you. So people are like, hey, we want blessing. Let's follow God. If we don't follow God, we'll be cursed. So that was what the old covenant was. The new covenant, we live post-Jesus. We've already been given something. Jesus has come and removed sin. And by faith in him, we can be completely forgiven. But our faith hasn't been fully fulfilled yet, has it? We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with health. Our bodies are not renewed. Justice has not fully come. Jesus has not come to make everything right. And so there's this aspect of, although we have received something, we're still waiting for something. And here's the question. We follow to get something. What do we do? And what if that something hasn't come yet? What do we do to not lose faith in the land between where we have expectations and promise from God from when he fulfills it? And the nation of Israel struggled with this post-exile because they were like, hey, this is the time. God said, no, 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 it's not the time yet. You're still gonna struggle and here's how they wrestled with it. And through this, we're going to see something that we can do in the land between that helps us not lose our faith. Here's what the writer Malachi says. God speaking, he says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Right? This kind of back and forth. It's always happening in Mal Malachi. You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain? <laughs> That's the question, right? What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? This is the question, right? What do we gain? We follow to get something and hey, we were in exile for 70 years and now we're being released and we've kind of given you ourselves. We're following you even though we know it's kind of half-hearted, but like we're trying to follow you even though it's half-hearted. We're trying to follow you, but what do we gain? God, you aren't bringing about what we had expected you would bring about. What happens if the something we're waiting for hasn't yet come? And I don't know what this looks like for you and your faith journey. Maybe for you, you know, 
you started reading your Bible and you had expectations of God, like, hey, maybe if I start drawing near to God, God's gonna draw near to me. I think it says something like that in James, right? So I'll read my Bible and I'll show up at church and yet it doesn't seem like God's drawing near to you and your life hasn't gotten better yet. Your marriage is still broken. Your parents' divorce is still going through. Your financial situation hasn't changed. Justice that God says is gonna come hasn't come for you and the people who have wronged you, they're just doing so well while you continue to suffer? What do you do in the land between when the thing that God has said is coming hasn't yet come? Well, here's what they were doing. But now, we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. And here's a tension they wrestled with, which is something you've wrestled with. Why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? Right? This is very personal. We just call the arrogant blessed because it doesn't seem to matter if you follow God or not. We just call, you know, evildoers prosper. It doesn't matter if you're doing it God's way or not God's way. It seems that everybody still gets the same lot in life. See, I'm following God, but nothing good's coming my way. And I see a lot of people not following God and a lot of good's going their way. What's the point of following God? But not everyone in the nation was saying this. Some others were saying something else. It says this. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. The Lord listened and heard. Then those who said, we want to still follow God. Those who feared God, not like I'm afraid of him, but those who honored God and said, God, we're going to keep doing it your way. And they talked to each other and we don't know what they said to each other, but we kind of know what they said to each other, don't we? They didn't come together and say, oh, look at that, evil people prospering. What's the point? They got together and said, we need to remember what God's word says to both do it and to remind ourselves that God is still working. Even though we don't see him right now, even though we're struggling right now, we will continue to honor him and we will remember what God has done in the past. And then God does something interesting. It says, a scroll of remembrance because they had remembered God and continued to honor him, to fear him. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence, in God's presence, concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. It's like God said, whoa, 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 whoa. Those people, there's not a lot of them. But everyone's just whining and complaining. Everyone's giving up faith. Everyone's throwing in the towel and saying, what's the point as they stand in the land between? But there's a few faithful ones, a few faithful ones who said, we're gonna remember what God has done. And we're going to remember what God has required and we're going to follow him. And God says, because they remembered, pull out the scroll, write down their names. I will remember them. See, remembering looks to the past, which has an impact on our future. Remembering in the moments when you're in the land between, you say, I don't see anything right now. Remembering looks back and says, wait a second, what has God said and what has God done? And it impacts our future as it relates to our faith. God goes on and says, oh, write this scroll of remembrance because here's what's gonna happen. 
in the future. On that, on the day, referring to the day of judgment, on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they, these people who have remembered me, those who have honored me, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction, the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. In essence, God says this. Listen, right now you don't see it. Right now you wonder, where's justice? Right now you wonder, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Right now you wonder, what's the point of faith? It's not accomplishing anything. But one day you're gonna see. When I act, you're gonna see a distinction between those who are faithful and those who are not. In essence, God is saying this. Your faith And your faithfulness to God is never wasted. Never wasted. And I know the feeling. When you're in the land between, it feels like, is this a waste? Is God going to come through? Is he going to be faithful? And it's like the writer of uh, uh, God is telling the people, listen, your faith in me, it's never wasted. And your faithfulness, as you continue to honor and remember me, it's never wasted. Because one day I'm going to act and distinction is going to be made. Distinction is going to be made. And then God goes on and he speaks about this day of judgment. And just so you know, when you read the Old Testament uh, prophets on judgment, um, they typically get really colorful and expressive in their language, okay? And some people, you know, I don't know if it's all literal. You can decide that as we read it. But there are points behind it, and I'll talk through that a little bit. But here's the kind of expressive, colorful language God uses regarding that day. Surely the day, again, speaking of judgment day, is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I don't know if that's literal. But what God is definitely saying is, good wins. Evil's destroyed, right? I mean, I think that's pretty clear. He goes on. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, right? I mean, all of the evil is gonna be destroyed. He goes on, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. I don't know if it's literal. I don't know if you're gonna go frolic around like a well-fed calf, Um, but what, what is God saying? There is gonna be a joy, an absolute joy on that day of distinction. This is this is polar opposite, right? There's this land like destruction, and then there's this extreme joy because of the distinction that God's going to make. He goes on, then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. I don't know again if if that means we're literally, but I think what God's saying is good wins. Those who follow him, God's going to reward. He goes on and says, remember, there's that word again. The distinction between those who follow God, those who will be uh, will see the the day of judgment as as joy is 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 those who remember, as opposed to those who do not. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Don't forget what God has done, and you're in the land between. You wonder what's the point of following God. Maybe you're, not, maybe you're in the land between, you're like, I don't even know if I want to put my faith in God. But what's the point? Is he even real? 
What do you do when you're in the land between when the promises of God have yet not taken place, have not been fulfilled? Remember. And then he says this in closing. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Everyone say great and dreadful. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. I want you to remember that. For he, this is Elijah, will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with destruction. Now this is kind of interesting. It kind of has to be explained. Elijah was a prophet some hundreds of years earlier and then the prophets talked about a man who would eventually come in the spirit of Elijah who would be the person who would prepare the way for the Messiah, for, for Jesus. Now interestingly enough, this is the end. That's why I said the book of Malachi just kind of ends there's no, like, no kind of conclu- conclusion. It's just like, oh, and then this, is, this guy's gonna come and kind of prepare the way uh, before the great and dreadful day you know, comes, the end judgment comes. So it's like, well, what's going on? Well, if you turn your Bibles, the very next page in your Bible is the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus. And there's four gospels, four writers that wrote the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Luke's gospel, you turn the page, you get to the story of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, after a short genealogy, Do you know who he talks about? Elijah. He actually talks to a man named Zechariah. And he says, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. And this child, you're going to name him John, who would become John the Baptist. And John is going to have the spirit of Elijah referencing what Malachi just talked about the page before. Referencing what Malachi talked about, he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah and this guy, John, he's going to turn the hearts of the children to the parents and the parents to the children. You can read about it in Luke chapter 117. It's like, here's the fulfillment, meaning this isn't the end. There's something more coming. There's no conclusion yet because there's anticipation. What Malachi is telling the people is we're in the land between that the exile and the return to Jerusalem wasn't the end, but it's anticipation of something bigger and better that's coming. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. Let me tell you about the forerunner, Elijah, who's gonna prepare the way for him. And that's the end. That's it. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. But there's two words I asked you to remember. Great and dreadful. And it's interesting that day hasn't come yet. That's where we, as followers of Jesus, we're still in the land between, where we're still waiting for God to fulfill all of the promises he's made. It's why when we struggle with cancer and disease and war, it's why when we see so much sin in the world and the injustice in the world, we're still saying, God, why do you allow this? God, when are you gonna set things straight? God, when are you gonna make this body work again? We're waiting. We're in the in-between. But here's the thing. That day, that day that's coming, judgment day, the prophet Malachi speaks of that day in two very different ways. He says it's a great day. It's a dreadful day. See, the end is either great or dreadful. And I'm not just talking the end of the world, but the end of you. Because you know as well as I do, and it's something we try to push off, but we're not going to stay alive forever in these bodies. And our end is coming. And I want to ask you today, as you consider your end, as you consider the end, is it something you dread or something you anticipate? 
Is it something you dread because you know when you stand before God, your creator, that you're not at peace with him? That you know that if you were to die today, that you're not, as God has said, your name's not written on the scroll of those who have put their faith and been faithful to God. As you consider the end, is it something you dread because you know you're not right with God? And I don't want to let you leave today without you knowing today's your salvation day. That God in the past, through the person of Jesus, has already accomplished everything for you to be right with God. For you to look at the end not as something that that scares you and makes you full of fear, but something that is an anticipation. It changes the end from dreadful to great because you can be made right with God. And if you've never done that, if you know today that there's this tension in you because you know that you're not at peace, I want to share with you how you can be at peace with God through the person of Jesus. And I want to simplify it as simple as I can make it. It's simply ABC and it's ABC so that you don't forget when you leave here. A, admit that you're a sinner. Admit before God that there's nothing you can do to earn your way to him, to make yourself right with him. You can't do enough good things to get to him, but that you're a sinner, that it's because of your own wrongdoing, your inability to get to God, that there is separation between you and God, that there's not peace between you and your creator. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe in Jesus as your savior. This is simply declaring, Jesus, I can't get to God, but you've already not only paved the way to God, but you paid for my sin by dying on the cross for me. That I can be given life because of your death on the cross. So A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe in Jesus as your savior, the one who can give you peace before God because he paid the debt of your sin. And then C, commit your life to following him. This is the act of saying, I'm not my own. If someone bought me with his own blood, I'm his. And that means he gets say in everything that I do. My life is his. And what would it look like for me to give more and more of my life to him, to give him control, to allow him to make decisions, him to decide what's right and wrong for me, and me simply to follow him. A, admit you're a sinner, B, believe in Jesus as the only savior from your sin. And then give your life, commit your life to following him. If that's you, if that's you today and you know God has been speaking to you and you don't even know why you showed up in church, you don't know why you're listening. But God's been speaking to you and today's your day to become right with him. I encourage you to simply do that. A, admit you're a sinner. We would call it a prayer. You just call it talking to a God who's listening. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus as your savior and commit your life to following him. I want to encourage you, if you do that or if you want to know more about how to do that, talk to the person who invited you, who encouraged you to listen online or you can email me or come talk to me and say, I want to know more. What does it look like to actually follow Jesus, to have my name written on the scroll, to change the end from a place of dread to a place of anticipation? Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, what do we do when we are in the, in the middle, in the land between? Because the end, although we have been forgiven of our sin, our salvation is not fully complete yet, is it? 
Our bodies have not been made new. There's so many promises of God that we're still waiting for. And what do we do when we stand in the land between? What if the something we're waiting for hasn't come yet? What's the point of following God when in the moment there seems like there's no point? Well, there's one thing that the true people of God 2,400 years ago did that I want to encourage us to do as well. It was one word. I think you probably remember it. Uh, See what I did there? Remember. Our faith, our faith is strengthened in the present and built for the future by remembering God's work in the past. Our faith is strengthened in the now when it seems what's the point of following God? It doesn't seem to be doing anything. It's strengthened in the present and it's built for the future by looking at the past and seeing what God has all done there. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Wherever you are on your walk of faith, even if you're not a person of faith yet, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider remembering in three kinds of ways. The first one is remember God's work in your past. Even if you're not a person of faith, I bet if you looked at your own past, you would already begin to see there's somebody who's been pulling some strings. There's a God, there's gotta be a God because for whatever reason, my path in life didn't take that and it led to this rather than that and it led here and God did something here and even though I don't know if I believe, it seems like God has been, someone's been orchestrating my life. And if you're a person of faith, your story is, is riddled full of moments where God has worked in your life. And you need to consider, you need to remember and not forget because here's the thing, when you're in the land between Do you know what happens every single time to almost all of us? We forget. We say, God's never worked in my life. We completely forget. God has called us to remember. What has God done in your life? Write it down. Remember. Second area uh, way to remember, remember what God has done, not just in your past, but in history's past. This involves opening up the word of God and reading how God worked among the nation of Israel, reading how God worked to bring Jesus and then the work of Jesus, reading how he built the church. It's a miracle. It should have never happened. The church should not be alive today. It's all the hand of God. And if you're really interested and really weird like me, read the history of the story of the church. It's an amazing story. It's a miraculous story of God moving time and time and time again. Remember God's work from history's past. And then thirdly, Remember God's word from the past. God had spoken to the people, said, remember the law. For first covenant, uh, Old Testament people, that meant the law of Moses. Remember God's word. As followers of Jesus, we're called to remember God's word from the past. That's what Jesus has said, what Jesus has commanded. And then simply to follow him. Not because we feel like it, but because we know it's right because we know it's right. Because when you're in the land between, you don't always feel like it. But as you remember the past, what God has done in your life, in history, you remember his word. It gives you strength to follow it in the present. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.